This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. back to open the voice gate for september 14th 2021 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find our podcast in the voices of wrestling network feed or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate if you'd like to donate to the show just click the link in your show notes that'll take you to our redcircle.com lighting site you click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation no obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I say we because we have Case back tonight. It's Mike and join alongside Case Lowe. Case, we had collectively what I would say a pretty rough afternoon, I would say. And the one nice thing I say about it is it did let, I think, a lot of people collectively to rediscover how great Norm MacDonald is or was. Oh, I thought you were talking about the fact that they changed Rex Steiner's name to Braun Breaker, which, uh, as we record this, my Twitter feed is lighting up over it. Look, I didn't know there was a new Steiner kid. This is all news to me, and uh, people on my Twitter feed are acting like this is the biggest tragedy to happen all day. But no, uh, uh, we did get the news earlier today that Norm MacDonald passed away. I found out I was uh, in the post office uh, shipping a hoodie to a good friend of mine. And I, I got the news and was stunned, as I was telling Mike before we started recording, Norm MacDonald's my favorite comedian. I think he is probably the funniest man to ever live. I, I know no one has made me laugh harder at certain jokes than he has. And it was very nice to see just kind of tributes coming in from all angles, because it's not I mean, Norm MacDonald, you know, had celebrity stature to him. It's not like he was some underground comic, but it's been very nice to see some sort of reverence uh, put with his name this afternoon, despite the awful tragedy that occurred. Yeah, it, it, I think that history is going to be so kind to Norm MacDonald just because, like, I grew up kind of at the perfect time that, like, Nor- that Norm MacDonald was, like, the guy on Saturday Night Live weekend update when I wa- first started watching Saturday Night Live. And I don't think, and I've said this, I don't think anyone has imprinted themselves on me as a comedian as much as Norm McDonald. I mean, my, my, my you guess it, Don Fuji line, straight up, is it straight up cribbing, uh, you guess it, Frank Salone. And it, it, it's something that, like, I wanted to pose this question to you because I feel like that our senses in comedy maybe. A lot like Dragon Gate, a lot of the a lot of the times we are dead on, but we veer off in a little bit opposite directions. Am I wrong in believing that 
there'd be no like like modern news-based comedy starts with his uh weekend update scent and if it wasn't for him like daily show Stephen colbert like like all that stuff does not really happen without the way that he changed uh weekend update i think that's probably a fair assessment because just off the top of my head and this is mike just just so you know and so the listeners know Questions like this is basically what I paid for four years of university for as someone that that has a a theater degree with a focus in actual comedy writing and performance. Yes, it was a colossal waste of money. Uh, do not let your kids do this. But this is what I studied. And I think that's a super interesting point to make, because I think without norm and without that overly satirical edge that he brought to the news, we probably uh, have just more bad Bill Maher type shows. I think that's oh, probably God. the direction that that comedy news leans in a little bit more. Uh, and that would be bad because Bill Maher on a weekly basis, my father, my father watches Bill Maher every week. I don't think he's ever agreed with the thing Bill Maher has said. Like he always finds a way to slant it to a way where my dad gets upset, but my dad comes back every single week. I do not understand why he does this to himself, but it's, (laughs) it's probably just uh, more in that vein and less of your John Stewart's and your Stephen Colbert's and, and later on Jordan Klepper, uh, who I'm still a big fan of. And and like, it's something that like the moth joke is like one of those things that has become like comedy canon with him. And it, it it's something like I've never seen. I never saw Norm do stand up live, but watching clips of him just like even on Letterman, just completely owning the crowd for 10 minutes and making jokes about no one is is waking up in the middle of the night about North Korea, just cracking me up. It's just someone that like it is a certain vein of comedy, but then he shows he he showed all of his versatility with like the Bob Saget roast where he just decided to go completely cringe clean for 10 minutes. It, it, I, I think he's the most. I, I think that, like, I know they do like the top 50 Santa comedians, and it's always like Richard Pryor towards the top. I'll be interested in seeing what sort of movement is made. Like, this, the, I'm so fucking wrestling brained. I apologize. I'm like, I wonder how he's going to be doing on the next uh, greatest <laughs> comedian ever. List. The next comedy seller uh, uh, observer Hall of Fame ballot. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the comedy seller, I don't know they're going to be doing much in that seller. In it oh, for a while boy. uh yeah i look i i will i will throw i'll throw two things at you here uh one you said the name richard Pryor made me think of something that i don't know if i've ever brought up on this show mike are you aware that my senior prom i wore pretty much an identical outfit to what richard Pryor wore at the at his live at the sunset strip taping a all red suit with a black undershirt and kind of a a yellowish uh accent to it I, I mean, it's a strong look. I mean, were you chain smoking at the same time? Uh, of course, I am true till death. I was not chain smoking. I was throwing up the X's even at my senior prom, of course, not getting laid because I was throwing up said X's. But I, I remember it was one of those things where uh, it sounds awful in theory. I look back on those pictures. and I'm like, damn, I. I looked pretty good, and that was one of those nights where, like, the faculty there, I remember my principal <laughs> came up to me. I had a pretty good relationship with my principal because I used to interview him for the student news all the time. Comes up to me, very stern man. Case, I just want to say, you are the best-dressed person here. Gave me a firm handshake, and I was on my way, so I have no regrets when it comes to wearing an all-red suit to my senior prom. And as for Norm, just to kind of cap off this impromptu comedy segment that Mike Spears sprung on me, 
despite the fact that it's a, a dated medium that really serves no purpose in popular culture anymore, and despite the fact that it will never happen, I still think if you ask me, Case, what is your absolute dream job? It would be hosting a late night talk show, not because of the monologue, not because of whatever uh, notoriety would come of it, but because I love panel interviews. I love the host sitting down with a comic and shooting the shit. And no one was ever better than Norm. Norm was the best panel guest there has ever been and that there ever will be. And uh, God, he just leaves behind such an incredible legacy. Everyone go watch some Norm clips if you've never seen Norm MacDonald and not just like the celebrity Jeopardy stuff. Like go find his like his Conan like sit downs are the best thing and go see his stand up because he is someone that will be truly missed. And I, Chris just... Selner posted it. My favorite Norm joke, and he's done it in a few different iterations, but my favorite version of it, and Chris Zellner has this on his Twitter, at Chris Zellner, that is K-R-I-S, and then Zellner, which you can spell out from there. But it's his Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee episode with Jerry Seinfeld. And he asks Seinfeld if he thinks Bill Cosby's legacy is going to be hurt, given uh, the, the sexual assault that Bill Cosby was facing. Seinfeld agrees and Norm says, you know, there's a comedian named Patton Oswald who says the worst part of what Cosby did was the hypocrisy. And Norm pauses and he says, well, I disagree. And Seinfeld questions him. He says, you disagree. And Norm says, yeah, my favorite, <laughs> not my favorite part, the worst thing about it was the raping. And I think that is the funniest joke that's ever been written. I Two over six foot tall men cramped into an old school tiny car with just the delivery, the punchline, the execution of it, it's the funniest joke that's ever been written, and it, it brightened my day when I saw it today. He just, it, it, it's something that he was able to like play with social norms in a way that was still like irreverent, but it wasn't like he was a mean comedian in a way. He it no, was, that's exactly it. I, you could, you know, Norm could say something awful about you, and I think he would still want to give him a hug right after a set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the idea of joking with versus joking at hardship. And I feel like he is someone, especially in the era of a lot of very mean comedians that like showed that he was a lot smarter by like being like, okay, this is what the joke is about. It is not like, you know, I, I hate going back to it, but it's not like Chris Tosh level comedian or like Dan Cook style, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, uh, Norm MacDonald and Dane Cook, not alike. Not, not alike. And... I was going to say make some Dragon Gate comparison about two people who are not alike, but that that segue is not with me here. Uh, here's what we're going to be talking about this week. We're going to first off talk about Kazma Sakamoto and his status in Dragon Gate and how it's drastically changed over the last month. And then we'll be reviewing a interesting, I'll say interesting, uh, September 11th show from Osaka Edeon 2 and then the lion's share of this week, of course, on Monday, on September 20th, it will be the 2021 edition of Dangerous Gate from Oda Simi Gymnasium, and we'll be spending probably the lion's share of the show talking about that. But Case, leading off this week, Kazma Sakamoto has, is no longer, as indicated by Dragon Gate's official gay or website, a member of the Dragon Gate roster. Coincidentally, he has recently, really since uh, Speed Star Final, been doing a lot of dates with Gleet. And I've never gotten if it's Gleet or Gleet. Uh, I apologize. I'm going to probably say it five different ways here. But but off the heels of that, this weekend, he was removed from the roster page. And 
all the R.E.D. and Dragon Gate kind of related stuff have left his Twitter timeline when he was a very active social media user uh, before. So, Case Kazma seems like he's done and seems like he made a decision that will make you done in Dragon Gate at this time. I, I say this genuinely when I say that I am proud of my Kazma Sakamoto take more so than the fact that two years ago I said the Young Bucks were the greatest tag team ever and even a lot of smart people pushed back on me. They weren't quite sure to make that statement. And two years later, it it looks more and more obvious by the day. CM Punk's impact on the world of professional wrestling. I was screaming about that for six or seven years. He came back. I was correct. Stuff, even just, you know, AEW's general success. I feel like I was much more bullish on them in the beginning and the things that they could be doing that they're doing now. It's great to see. I'm not entirely surprised by all that they're doing. But the take that I am I am most proud of nearly eight years into this bubble, nearly eight years into this really deep intelligentsia community is the fact that two matches in the Cosmo Sakamoto's Dragon Gate career, I said, you know what, this guy, this guy's going to be OK. And that was at a point where no one really wanted to hear it because it was 2018 Dragon Gate and times were rough. And he came in as a surprise at Dangerous Gate 2018. So realistically, he lasted just uh, just under three years. Everybody thought that X was going to be Pac or someone exciting, some a name that would jump off the screen. And it was Cosma Sakamoto instead. When we had Jay on the show last month, he talked openly about when Cosma came out. He said, oh, fucking Cosma, because no one was excited about it. But I wrote in my October 2nd, 2018 Gate of Victory review, this was his second match in Dragon Gate, I said, quote, Cosmo Sakamoto was not bad. He was surely a bad surprise, and a name like his should never be given the privilege of being an X. But as a wrestler, Sakamoto was fine, and through two matches, he's shown that he can decently work within the Dragon Gate house style. I don't expect him to ever challenge for the Dream Gate, and if he's ever in any sort of title hunt, it will probably be the Triangle Gate belts, which is okay by me. Sakamoto was a lame surprise, but so far I have no complaints about him in the ring. And as time went on, I think people that became disenfranchised by Dragon Gate, either because of, of Shima leaving and the initial excitement of what he was doing outside the promotion, or Shingo leaving and obviously the success he's had, or Tozawa leaving, or just, again, the doldrums that we dealt with 2017-2018 into the early parts of 2019. I think people that didn't have their eyes on the promotion as closely as we did pointed to Cosmo Sakamoto as he is the reason I do not like this product. This is not my Drangate. Why is Cosmo Sakamoto here? But I have been a staunch defender of him ever since that second match because I, I saw very, very quickly that he could work in this style. And I never would have imagined that we would be sitting here in 2021 and that Cosmo Sakamoto versus Shun Skywalker for the open, the Dreamgate Championship, no less, would be one of the five best matches in this promotion this year, and arguably one of the ten best matches in the world, period, in this calendar year. This is a great loss, maybe not necessarily from a star power perspective, but Sakamoto was somebody that could talk. He was someone that was credible in the sense that I felt like at any point he could pin anybody on the roster or he could be pinned by anybody on the roster. And if that person was ranked lower than him, it would really give that person a benefit. It would give them a boost. He was protected to an, a, an incredibly smart degree. And him leaving the promotion just from an in-ring standpoint is a bummer because by the end of his time, 
uh, Mike, I, I thought he was excellent. Yeah, and it really was something that as soon as he got to speed, he was exceptional. And it is the thing that I think I'm going to miss most. And of course, he, as he he could probably show back up in a while. It's just that that that's a promotion that if you want to have a continued relationship with Dragon Gate, you can't work with right now, from my understanding. And he the the thing that gets me is like he was such a wrestling mind in Dragon Gate. Like you could tell that he's someone who's who was very cerebral about pro wrestling, just from like how he was like, all right, I know that this is the camera that's going to pick up this, the, my knee of death from here. Like remember the the knee of death he gave to Jason last year, and it looked like absolute murder. Like it was the, becoming one of my favorite signature spots in wrestling. The way he was lining up guys and killing them this year. Yeah, and and part of that is he's. He knows where it's like, oh, yeah, this is a single cam thing. The one hard cam is going to be right here. I'm going to do it on this thing. Or maybe I'm going to be doing this from the corner like this. The things that you could kind of pick up on with him. And another thing that was so nice about Kazma is in a normal roster, he is not the biggest guy. But in Dragon Gate with the size difference in Dragon Gate rosters versus the rest of the world, essentially, he was able to with his size do it all like he did not fly a lot because he didn't have to but i mean completely like the kind of size that like shun skywalker who on a normal roster would be kind of normal side in dragon gate he looks lanky is able to do like taharas and head scissors and just things like that with kazma to just not look ridiculous and it's just something that he was great in twin gate matches his uh the the matches that he would have with like minoli were exceptional he was always a solid third whenever there was a triangle gate challenge for red and i mean the match against shun skywalker it's a shame that like it is only going to be like oh yeah he had a he had a dream gate shot against shun skywalker in 2021 at memorial gate and like five years from now that's going to be a footnote when in reality he it was accommodation for how great his run was. And I mean, that that's really a, a testament both of him and the company's ability to get this outsider to a level that uh, there's not a good history with outsiders and dream gate shots and dragon system. So him coming in being built up in that way really is a testament to himself. And also with how the promotion felt about him. He has a fascinating career. I I really think of all the active wrestlers out there, he has one of the more interesting stories. I mean, I I mean this in a very genuine way, where of all the wrestlers that I could sit down and have a conversation with about their careers, Kazuma Sakamoto's near the top of that list. I really think his career has been that interesting, from being a Kaintai Dojo student uh, and one of the first uh, at that to you know he worked big japan he worked ddt he worked fcw and then he worked pre-boom nxt which is hard to believe and then he went back to japan and wrestle one and in noah mike i don't know if you realize this he was cody hall's tag team partner for like a like a six month stretch where he and cody hall were teaming constantly on noah shows and then he ended up in Drangate. and it's weird to think you know, in this illustrious near 20 year career at this point, a guy who has made his living from professional wrestling, you wouldn't think that Cosmo Sakamoto's best work has been done in Drangate, but from everything I've seen in his career, which is a a fair chunk, especially post FCW kind of what he did once he got back to Japan, 
his best work has been in Dragon Gate. It's it, it's incredible to think about. He's just something that I mean. It's a testament to him uh, above all. I mean, the ability that someone that was so deflating became a very endearing member of the roster. But I mean, also being able to say like, okay, this guy, just give him time. He's going to work. And I mean, it all worked out for him. And yeah, I would absolutely like, there's a lot of questions like, all right, you wrestled in Puerto Rico starting your career. How wild was that? It's just a lot of, I find Kazuma Sakamoto just fascinating. Absolutely. So a presence that will be missed on the roster. We'll kind of see what unfolds with R.E.D. from there, because obviously if I had it my way, maybe maybe Kai would have waved goodbye after Speedstar final and Kazuma Sakamoto would have stayed in. But as it stands right now, R.E.D. Uh, is without Kazuma Sakamoto and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. And speaking of R.E.D., really had a significant presence on this o- Osaka show in a way that doesn't necessarily always resonate with me. Uh, this Osaka show was on September 11th. It'll be up on the network until the 18th. Uh, what was your big takeaway watching this final show before dangerous gate? Because I'm still wrapping my head around this Osaka show. I hated the amount of bad finishes on this show more than anything. Cause there were a few matches that I was really getting into. And then there was some sort of non-finish referee bump, low blow DQ, whatever. And that really took me out of this because it just became a point where it was too excessive for me to really invest myself into this show up until the main event, which was not exactly what I was. I, the, the main event match I guess we could talk about now. It's not exactly what I thought the match was going to be, but I did still enjoy the bulk of the main event. Yeah. So the main event, this was for the vacant open, the brave gate championship. This was the belt that was vacated last month in Osaka. When these two went at it, it was Keisuke Okuda versus SB Kento. SB Kento defeated Okuda in 80, 18 minutes and 30 seconds with a second attempt of the SB shooter to become the 43rd Open the Brave Gate champion. This is his second reign. There's no challenge for Dangerous Gate. He this is they're, they're, this is now two years in a row with only three titles online at Dangerous Gate. Uh I liked this. I thought that this was more of like a checklist match for SB Kento than it was like a great men event because Keisuke Akuda, as we've seen, is not an easy person to have a singles match with. Like he, he's not a flexible wrestler in the way that like Kagatora was. Like SB Kento versus Kagatora, of course, that match was very good because Kagatora, when motivated, is an excellent pro wrestler, and SB Kento is promising enough and put in the position that he knocked it out. This was a different challenge because Okuda, as we saw through his Brave Gate run, was very hit and miss with his title matches and. I felt like that this was a three and a three quarter star match that worked at like kind of a slower pace, calling back to all the New York that's happened over the last month. And they had a interesting subversion of all the ref stuff they pulled on the show where uh, towards the finishing stretch, Yagi gets bumped hard. He sells forever, like the longest I've ever seen a referee sell that take pulls Rio Saito away from the table because he's general manager. He has to go get another referee. Uh, Mr. Nakagawa comes running in, but after SB Kento low blowed uh, Keisuke Akuda very hard, there are a couple deep three, two counts, and then we went into the finishing stretch with the SB shooter. 
So in a way, this was a very satisfying story for me because we had the blow up last month in Osaka, a month long build to this match. The story that really involved not only SB Kento and Kaisuke Ikuda, but also our new general manager and Rio Saito. Saito being at ringside for this match added a lot. Saito bringing out referee Nakagawa from the back, which, Mike, I, you would probably be the better judge of this than me. I don't ever remember them doing that, where they add a referee into a match like this. Do you remember that spot in Dragon Gate before? I feel like there were times that either Yazushi Kondo, when he was playing heel referee, would be brought back. They would hit the referee, and they bring in Yazushi Kondo, and then maybe Kenta. The, not Kenta, but Kenta, the <laughs> DG referee, who also was a heel referee. Like when they had heel referees, there were level shenanigans, but nothing like this. I mean, the downfall of Kenta was 2006, so nothing in like 15 years. Yeah, that has all been blocked out of my mind for good reason. I look, there's there's a lot of pros and cons to Drangate in September of 2021. They bring in a heel referee, Mike. This podcast is going to get pretty rough. That is a gimmick that I just have absolutely no patience for. But I do really like the way that they worked around this match. Again, I thought it was going to be straightforward. I, I thought with the way this match was built, with everything going into it, I was expecting in more realistically, probably just hoping that we would get 18 minutes of SBK versus Kaisuke Akuda. And if you get, you know, an RED run-in spot here and a high-end save, whatever. I, I wasn't expecting all of the referee nonsense that we got. But in the end, I, I think it turned out okay because the win for SB Kento, that final SB shooter that he put Kaisuke Akuda in, I thought it was terrific. And despite the car crash, the mayhem that ensued, I really liked the bulk of this match. One of the things that I, I've become really impressed by SB Kento when it comes to his in-ring work, and look, there's a lot that I like about the guy, but one of the things that I wasn't necessarily sure about him was just his physicality. You know, I was trying to figure out where he fits in, what sort of bubble, even within the Drangit house style, that he can fall into. Is he is he more of a, a Mochizuki type? He's not really a high flyer. Uh, we, you know, I, I wasn't sure. I, again, my comparisons with him has always been Yamato. I wasn't sure if he was going to bring in more of a ground game. And what we've seen is is kind of that Yamato style. I think with a greater emphasis on strikes. I mean, I I don't know about you, but SP Kento kind of held his own standing and striking with Kaisuke Akuda in this match, not in a way that I think diminished Akuda's gimmick and his presence and his intensity. But I, to me, it just raised SB Kento's game. It's somehow another tool that he's added to his tool belt. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying like this was a checklist match because this is having someone else's match. And you're absolutely right. Like he held his own. He didn't. It wasn't one of those things that like when Ginky Horikuchi had the match against him. I'm like Ginky. Ginky's not going to be trading shots of this. Like what are we doing here? But he was able to stand and trade, and that's really what all one would want to do with like. If you're going to be having a this kind of match case Gekuda, you have to be willing to get yourself a little dirty here. And SP Kento more than held up his end of the bargain. Yeah, it's another super impressive performance from him. I, I think as he goes along in this Brave Gate run, given what I think is coming down the line, I, I hope as we get into our predictions for Dangerous Gate, I hope that I can accurately predict his next two challengers. I, I will give that a shot when we get to our Dangerous Gate predictions. This is not going to be 
the big SB Kento victory lap that I think is coming in this Brave Gate run. I, I think there are matches down the line that he's going to have that are stronger than this, that are better than this. I went three and three quarters with this, so it was still very strong. I think it's worth your time if you can catch mm-hmm. it before it leaves the Dragon Gate Network. But I think there's better things in store for him coming up, uh, uh, assuming he continues to be the Brave Gate champion. Yeah, I'm totally with you on this. I was three and three quarters as well. This, as I said, this is like the how to make a Dragon Gate Ace checklist. This is another an- another box that he has ticked off there. And then I just overall like it, it. The reason why the ref thing was so interesting and worked so well was because the stretch matches two, three, and four. We have a. DQ for doing a low blow under Rookie Doi. We have a box shot immediately going to the finish. And then we had the double count out committee happening. All of R.E.D. stuff. So R.E.D. is running wild at this portion. GM Rio Saito. It's his first real crisis on hand. And I have to say, don't necessarily know if this is the best way of dealing with it. It seems like the best way is to get them in a ring with another unit and let them disband it out there. But uh, uh, just... Were there any other like big matches on the show you, you really wanted to delve into? I really liked the semi-main event. I thought that was the match of the night, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would like to talk about the semi-main event. I gave it the same rating as the main at three and three quarters. It sounds like you might be higher on it, so you have the floor. Yeah, the semi-main event was the high-end team of Yamato and Binkei versus the established tag team of Masquerade, Kota Minora and Jason Lee. Yamato got the win with just like a very abrupt Galleria, 15 minutes and 31 seconds. It was something that like I like was tossing a bone to Pudge, and I looked up, and the three count was happening. I had hit back 15 seconds, because I just missed it that much there. Uh, I felt like, and this is something that, like, I mentioned last week they got to a they had a really roundabout way of getting to the end point of Kota Minora and Yamato the way that it was seeming like was being foreshadowed for a long time and so the big like oh these guys are on a match and now they have to like team up each other that was not working with like Masaki Mochizuki teaming up with a uh, high end over the last month was not the case here like this had the perfect amount of building up Yamato versus Kota Minora. And then you also had Jason Lee in there. And Jason Lee, for like the first eight minutes of the match, was just taking the heat, was just his superlative self. And then Benkei and him had some really awesome interactions here. And I th- this was like the first match on this show, which came with only one other match remaining. I was like, all right, this feels like how you would build up a Dragon Gate card in a way and i went four flat i thought that this was a this was a match a tag match that would easily be one of the better tag matches on a summer adventure tag league look at some point at some king of gate we got to get yamato versus jason lee and it needs to happen in cork and or back in this venue in osaka that that is a pairing that unfortunately i don't I, just being realistic i don't really ever see that happening for a title but boy, that is a singles match that I could really sink my teeth into given what they did here. So down the line, I'd really like to see Yamato versus Jason Lee. And it's funny. And again, perhaps it's just my preconceived notions of all of those, you know, uh, uh, are these partners going to get along tag matches that I often lament about, especially in this promotion? They're bad everywhere, but I'm especially annoyed by them in Dragon Gate because it's my primary, uh, uh, primary promotion. But it's funny to me, how convoluted the setup was to get Minora into this championship match. But as soon as he got put in there, 
all of a sudden, oh my God, of, of, of course the main event's Yamato versus Coach Minoru. Look at the way these guys wrestle each other. It came across so much more natural, and even with the clap crowds, maybe it's just an internal thing. Maybe I'm projecting what I want to see into the people of Osaka, the 350 people that were there. But boy, did this feel better than any sort of Yamato versus Kai, Yamato versus Mochi, Yamato versus Binke angle that they had run. I watched Yamato and Minoru in the ring, and I think that is the goddamn main event of a pay-per-view coming up. Yeah, yeah. The, like This was like exactly because like all the uh, all the big work for this Dreamgate match has already been done and has been told very well. So having this and like having like this thing is like the, the little dessert. Like this was like our Andy's after dinner mint of like the last few months of Kota Minoru constantly having Yamato's number, Yamato going, all right, you think you have my number? Get into this match. I want to face you now. You you, you have just gotten the ace angry. And, and then like having this one face off before the uh, before the pay-per-view, excellent. L- like this is exactly what I want to be seeing out of the Dreamgate division. I just don't need this family circus-ass circuitous way of getting there where it felt like that the last four weeks in a lot of ways were completely a waste because this was clearly the destination for the last few months. Why did they choose this route to get there? Okay, so th- is that that your official stance that Yamato versus Minora was always the destination? I mean, you don't have those wins happening against Yamato unless you're building up a title match. Yeah, I, I think that's entirely fair. I want to see if he would go tinfoil hat here and try to really read into these clap crowds in a way that, that maybe Drangy no. had abandoned ship. But uh, but I, I, I agree with you. I mean, look, the, the story here is, is really simple, and it's the story that they need to tell. He's beaten Yamato already. He's beaten Eita. He's beaten Mochizuki. I loved, and I didn't get a chance to talk about this, Corkin. Uh, of course, my written review is up over at voiceofwrestling.com, but Minora eliminating Mochizuki from that four-way match in the way he did it, where Mochizuki went to hit his corner kick on Ben K and Minora snuck up from behind him and dumped him over the top rope. Oh my God, what a great spot. All of those things in a row, also pinning BB Hulk in a singles match at King of Gate to get him here. This feels like a really big Dreamgate match. And it, I don't know if if that's us being uber invested in this product. I, I don't get the sense just among Western fans that we talk to that there are that many people that are excited about Dangerous Gate. But I'm going to attempt to recalibrate that as we as we get into this preview, because I, I know you have some issues with this card. I, I don't love all of it, but I really do think this could be a great show. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, anything else on these shows to, that really kind of peeked out at you? We got Funky Jackie Kame got a pen. Like, that's the only thing, like, really notable other than uh, Strong Machine Army, Work Well as a Foursome, and all those finishes that we talked about. Yeah, anything else that I that I have from Osaka can be lumped into a Dangerous Gate preview. Okay, so I'm just going to run down the Osaka results then, just because we only talked about the main two matches. Dark match was a roll-up or shut-up, Takashi Yoshida and Ho-Ho Lun losing to the unaffiliated team of Problem Dragon Funky Jackie Kame. It's called the Jackie Knife, which I thought was kind of cute there. But That's he got- tremendous. I did not know that. That is a <laughs> that is well done to the Drangate creative team. Yeah, yeah. Good, good flash pin name. That's a flash pin name that can last him his entire career. Uh, the true opener was the rest of Natural Vise versus the Strong Machine Army. Yokosuka, Shizumazu, Horiguchi, and UT versus JKF and G. Kate got the win with the with the uh, 
they're calling it the the game is completely up they're not even bothering it's the king kong lariat i was going to say the kk lariat but that gets a little too close to something that is not acceptable but uh match two ultimo and naruki doi bb hulk and diamante this was when diamante low blow doi for the dq match three high end versus red dragon kid and kagatora versus kaido ishida and kai Kaido Ishida won with a distraction box shot in seven minutes. And then match four was R.E.D. versus Masquerade, Shun Skywalker, Dragon Dai and Lostrea versus Eita, Hio, and Dai Inferno. Double count out in 14 minutes and 40 seconds. But most importantly, Masquerade got their belts back. It's been a long month. Like uh, We really have to reassess uh, Ryo Saito's conduct, I feel like. I feel like we maybe gave him a little bit too much leash here, guys. You know, Mike, in my shoot job, I was recently, for the first time, uh, at this position, given some sort of uh, management duties. I was instructed to train somebody in a position, and I, I had a very short amount of time to do it. And the initial feedback I got, much like Rio Saito, was, was man, you, you killed this. You really took this project on, made it your own. Very well done. Got a phone call from someone this afternoon saying, hey, uh... Maybe check back in with uh, with some things that are going on. Uh, not going as well as we thought, and uh, we're going to need to fix this in the immediate future. And uh, in, in many ways, my experience, my life mirrors that of Rio Saito. It, you know, it's something that I believe an immediate and honest assessment. And, you know, the, the, they left you hanging. In case this was not your fault, this is something you could rectify in the moment. This is your superior's fault. I, you're not at blame here. This is on them for not notifying you that you maybe need to be a little bit more on this person in training. I actually, the feedback I got was maybe lay off a little bit. Maybe you were being a oh, little okay. too aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> but look, when I want a job done, I'm going to get the fucking job done, okay? My work ethic is, is uh, I, I impress myself with it sometimes because I think of myself as a lazy person. And then a task gets put in front of me, and that, that task has to get done. I was told maybe pump the brakes a little bit on how hard you've been pushing this person. <laughs> you, you, you see, whenever I've had to do like technical training, and I'm assuming with your shoot job, it's very that I level technical training. I try to like teach it like I'm five, and I can very quickly like tell if someone is getting it or not. And there are certain there are certain people that you just are like, I'm not. I. I'm going a little hard, but if I'm not going hard, they're not going to pick up on this. And you just don't know until you really get a chance to like train people. So that was kind of my logic because I was like, look, a lot of people have tried to handle this situation with kid gloves before, despite the fact that I'm 22 with a year of experience under my belt in this industry. Let me go in hot and heavy. Let me kind of really take this over and make it clear that I'm running shit. And again, for the first week, I was like, man, this is going great. Uh, we are now going to readjust uh, the, our approach. <laughs> We're going to come in with a new game plan of the office tomorrow, and hopefully uh, the situation will rectify itself from there. <laughs> so much like Rio Saito, things started off well. We we hit our first bump in the road, but I, I think that I can get through it, and I think that Rio Saito can get through it as well. Speaking of bumps in the road and maybe needing to rectify things, case Danger Skate 2021, it is happening this Monday for those in the United States. It is on the 20th. It is a 1500 Japanese standard time start. That's 4 p.m. in Japan. I used to try to give like time zone things, case, but we realized like how wrong I was half the time on that. So check your local listings for that. 
the first big show in a long time with nine matches case like they they're having a lot of matches on this show uh should we start with the main event and work our way back or should i just run through the card real quick and then we'll start going forth from there I actually, I want you to start from the opener and go from there. I think that's the proper way to assess this specific card. And before you begin, I just have to say, I am so annoyed that this show is taking place on a weekday. It is going to mess up my entire schedule. But you it, do you, Dragon Gate, you do you. <laughs> it, it, you're inconveniencing the small portion of Western fan base by having a show on Monday, Dragon And Gate. how dare they for that? How dare they not think of me Voices of Wrestling reviewer Case Low when scheduling one of their big five shows. How dare they? I mean, don't they have don't they have some idea of decency and decorum? But yeah, <laughs> uh, opening the show and very pointedly has been pointed out. So if you're someone who does not have the Drangate Network and you still listen to this, this first match will be free and clear English and Japanese commentary on YouTube. The Open the Triangle Gate Championship match. It is the masquerade team of Dragon Daya, Jason Lee, and La Estrella, the only champions to run the gauntlet at uh, 7.31 and 8.1, versus R.E.D., Eita, Kaido Ishida, and Hyo. The backstory for those parachuting in, uh, Eita, Ishida, and Hyo have been stealing the belt, stacking up masquerade members, and just been general just rough ruffians around the town, whereas the wholesome... Uh, Nice, kind uh, masquerade team just wanted their belts back, and they finally got them back this weekend. Yeah, I, I am really into this match. I think this could be excellent. I, this masquerade team crushed it at Speedstar Final and Kobe World. Their matches were actually better than I thought they were going to be, and I think this is a really strong RED lineup. It, it puts masquerade in an interesting position where they've been beat down, they've been beat down, they've been beat down, their belts have been stolen from them. They've literally been stacked on top of each other. I think normal wrestling logic would say that they're going to get their win back here. But I think this is such a strong RED team. And I think we are, I mean, we look, we've been saying this for a year now, but I, th I think we're getting towards that point where we have to start building towards that Dragon Daya versus Daya Inferno match. And to do that, you need to get the belt off of Dragon Daya and We'll see if it turns out to be this, you know, this time. But I think this is when we're going to start that process. I think R.E.D. is going to win this match. Yeah, and I also feel like that we have two clocks clicking or ticking right now. We've had the year-long one for uh, the Dias to have their Puestas match. And then, as well, R.E.D., this would be their official three-year spiritual anniversary. And that is, I feel like I say that every week. That, Ooh, that, that is nuts. Yeah, yeah, as case response, that's long for a Dragon Gate heel units, and heel units usually last longer than the face units. And it does seem like that an overarching storyline, other than Yamato proving that the winds of change can bring back like the past or the present here, like the big storyline is that RED has been running rough shot, not over not only over Masquerade, but against high end, against the rest of the home army at this point, natural vibes as well. It seems like that I do really think that, it, and I don't think the Triangle Gate is going to be any sort of impediment to that. I feel like we're getting that uh, that shakeup sooner rather than later. Like I feel like with the the amount of stuff that is just red, just running roughshod, has to be leading somewhere. 
it is a very interesting red team specifically these three to be challenging for the triangle gate belts because you have hyo who's a one-time triangle gate champion he won the belts at final gate 2019 and then lost in early 2020 right before the shutdown you have Ata, who i don't know if you realize this mike but the last time he held the triangle gate belts it was march 16th to june 14th of 2014 his partners were t-hawk and ut in the millennials it has been seven years almost seven and a half years since Ata has been a triangle gate champion and then you have kaito ishida who has never been a triangle gate champion he was the obviously a, a brave gate champion for a year and then he held the twin gate belts in the spring with cosmo sakamoto he has never been a triangle gate champion and so assuming they do win the belts whatever direction red goes and i'm obviously very intrigued by that because at some point the fragmentation has to start but also just in terms of getting fresh triangle gate matchups this is a team that would supply that need yeah because Ata has been more concerned of hanging out with nosawa lately so this gives him a purpose for the first time really since the disbands match in december like this is the first like real focus of Ata in a while. Ashida is someone that now he might not be treated as the two in RED, but in a lot of ways, like Kai, I mean he's gonna he's a freelancer. You don't usually like tie that in here. And Hulk, they don't trust Hulk in that at that level anymore. I mean he's hidden an eight man tag this this year. So he's 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 functionally the number two here. So you have those two and then the lost post. So it's such a fascinating team for like that. And it's something where like I can easily see like Masquerade in the win back as you talked to, you talked about before, but you do really need to get that belt off Daya if you're going to be wanting to do this Puestus match anytime soon. If Masquerade wins, they have a track record of having great matches. I have no issue with that result, but I, I do think there's something particularly intriguing about this RED team because they could go on to wrestle Susumu, Genki, and Shimizu, which are guys that I feel like are always in the Triangle Gate scene, but because of the RED side of that, that suddenly becomes a much fresher matchup. Yeah, no, and I mean, even like Dragon Kid, Big K, and Kagatora. That's a very yeah. fresh Triangle Gate match. There's a lot of opportunities there, and... You know, I mean, the thing about the Triangle Gate division is that you're able to throw three people together and it's just like, oh, yeah, no, they, they can make a challenge. That makes sense. You got the pen and you pick two of your friends. So it's not like this Masquerade title run has is long in the tooth either. I mean, they only won it four months ago. Yeah, which is which is crazy to think. I think just because they floated around that scene for so long and because we see some combination of Lee and Daya or Lee and Estrella teaming with the other members of Masquerade on pretty much every show it might seem like they've had the belts for a long time, but in reality, that has not been the case. Yeah, it, it it's going to be a real fascinating thing. I think it's also very pointed that this match will, they're going to go out there knowing it's the opening match and knowing what the opening match means on a show like this. So I think they're going to go out there and kill it. Yeah, look, I, I, I have said my piece on Jason Lee and Dragon Daya specifically, Kaito Ishida, I think the world of, this could be a, a great match. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would call this the sleeper match on the show just because of how focused it is, but it is a match that I have higher expectations than others on it. Uh, moving down the card, match two, one versus three handicap match. Takashi Yoshida 
versus Konamaue Chikawa, Sachi Hoko Boy, and Yosuke San Maria. If they go curtain to curtain in under 10 minutes, I have no complaints with this. It's a, it's an Ichikawa match, which on paper is great. It is probably the least interesting Ichikawa match possible, which is a bummer. But if they get all this done in, in 10 minutes or under, I what am I going to be mad about? I'll tell you what you should be mad about, Case, because this show has multiple comedy matches on there for whatever reason. A lot of people who are just kind of thrown together here. Like I taking I'm just gonna be taking this match, the next match with Kenichiro Rai, Punch Samanaka versus Gamma and Problem Dragon, and then the six man tag of Natural Vise versus Ultimo, Mochizuki, and Doi. There is a better combination to be making out of these three matches. And if you can't find something to do with these ten people, then like what are we doing here? And I know they like getting all the part-timers in on these shows. And uh, when have I had an ill word to say about Kenichiro Rai case? Never. Of course. Of course. Never. He's my main man. But on a show like this, where to my understanding, and I may be wrong, Tokyo is still under a state of emergency. So the reason why the show is starting at four is because they'll have enough time to hit the curfew there. The fact that we have this kind of match and the fact that we have the next match and the, and the fact that like this the 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 ultimo natural vibes match is match five instead of match two really like i'm looking at this show and i'm like all right what's going to get really short shrift on time and if this match isn't 10 minutes curtain to curtain then something that probably needs time is getting cut and i think that that's just irresponsible to be quite honest, especially for someone like Kota Minora in his first ever Dreamgate shot, like, and with how much care they've been having with Kota Minora for the last 14 months, it just seems just, just like shooting yourself in the foot. And then, I mean, Shun and Diamante, that, sh- that shouldn't go long, but that, but if that match is only going to be six minutes in a DQ. That's going to be infinitely frustrating as well. Am I just being just hypersensitive about this and just thinking this is just, a weird undercard and me just extrapolating into this thinking like this is just utterly i i look at this and i'm wondering like like how do you decide this is a good card undercard for a big five show so i'm gonna i'm gonna push back here uh one I think just the general perception of this card drastically changes if match three Arakan and punch Tamanaga versus Gamma and Problem Dragon. If that match is a match zero and not a match three, I think we look at this card in an entirely different way. That match is so weird and it is placed in such a weird spot that I am trying to figure out what angle they are going to book out of that match, but the participants are Arakin, Punch, Tabanaga, Gamma, and Problem Dragon. Thus, I am terrified that there is going to be an angle that is involved in that match. Four guys that just don't matter. And and, and at a Corkin show, this would be match zero. This has been match zero several times. So again, like I think there's a realistic chance on this show that the Yoshida match and the Arakan tag, those two matches combined could take up less than 15 minutes. And I think that's a very realistic possibility. I would be shocked if my complaint outside of being facetious is that either of those matches are going to be too long when I type up my review. Of course, if one of them was a dark match, I I think we would look at this card in a drastically different way. 
I do think we are on completely separate pages when it comes to Ultimo, Mochi, and Doi versus Horiguchi, Yuti, and Funky Jackie Kamei. Yes, it is a match that doesn't really have a story. It's kind of heatless, uh, but and that's a big opportunity for Ut and for Kamei. I mean, Funky Jackie Kamei has been working dark matches or opening matches in Tokyo and Osaka lately. Now he's in match five on a pay-per-view with Ultimo Dragon and with Mochizuki and with Doi. I think that's a huge spot for him. That is a match that doesn't necessarily have uh, the right amount of heat coming into it. I, I certainly wouldn't have hate and they would have done some sort of logical build to this on an Osaka show or on the Corkin show. But that is a that is a better match than you're giving it credit for. It's not a bad match. And with Ultimo, there's not a lot of build for his matches to begin with. So I, I understand why this match is happening. I'm just like looking at it and I'm like, all right. This is after the debut match of the Hashi Brothers. That makes sense. That's a debut match. But then you look at like what else is before it on the card, and I, I'm going to completely be fine with it. The Triangle Gate is opening for a very obvious reason. We all know why that they want to get eyeballs on that match, which is completely justified. That's what right, they should yeah. be doing. The like when they did that with Okuda and Ishida, it was a smart move. There are more. There's more Western interest from that match probably than most things in Dragon Gate all last year just because it was in the opener. So I think that that's, that's smart. But then I, like, I look at this and it's like, okay, if that's the opener, I get you don't want to do a trio match and then trio match there. But there's a way to like work out this card in a way that is not just completely befuddling. Like the fact that there's, that there's an eight-man tag happening right before the special singles match, right before the two title matches. Like I, I, I'm not a traditionalist. But like I look at like how they set the card here, and I'm just like, all right, let me get the pencil and move some things around here. We're going to move that tag match to match zero. We all know why that match needs to be match zero. And then we might be talking. But the way this show is like laid out here, I mean, the big shows only go three, and a th- three hours and 30 minutes. So the fact that even these matches are getting 15 minutes combined... That's valuable real uh, again that that's that might be cutting short shrift to another match that probably needs it. And with match with match five, it, it, it's yes, Doi's kind of off on a ledge right now. Mochizuki. Which I'm stunned by. I can't believe we're in mid September and Uruki Doi doesn't have a unit. I, I said yeah. this uh, two weeks ago, but I really thought the immediate direction coming out of Speed Star Final was to get him a unit. And I'm I'm shocked that he's not in one. But that's it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it it bothers me on a fandom level that he's not in a unit right now. Yeah, and just like talking about the last six weeks, and I'm not trying to make an inference here, but boy, when one person in particular who I know was like helping out with stuff like that has left the company and the first major show is like this and the weeks leading up to it have not necessarily been the bell to bell Dragon Gate that at least for the two of us that we expect makes you ask a couple questions. Again, I think a lot of the issues with this card would be solved if match three was just in a different spot. It's a it's a big mole on a pretty face. And if it went away, I think everything would improve because of it. But the rest of this card, I like even that high end versus R.E.D. match, match six that we'll get to. I really like that match on paper, and I really like the things that could come from it. So I'm on board with pretty much everything here. I just think matches two and three are awkward, but I don't think they're going to take up that much time. So I'm not too upset about them now. 
if it becomes a catastrophe, you will hear about it more next week. <laughs> I will not be taking a victory lap on a catastrophe. I will not be doing that. <laughs> you're you're uh, a man of honor. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a man of my word. And since I've said that on air, I will not be doing that. Uh, uh, a man of honor, much like demonic Flamita. <laughs> good for Flamita. Just good for, for Flamita. Uh, I feel like that that's we've already paid match two and three enough time. Match four is the Hashi Brothers debut match. It is... They got a tough pull for the first match. It is Don Fuji and Izushi Kanda welcoming Riki Ahashi and Ishin Ahashi to the full roster. I'm so excited for this, Mike. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I I am so excited for this because it's more rookies and obviously over the past three years, really, kind of everything post-OWE split Drangate has had a lot of success with their rookies, especially upon initial debut. We've kind of seen some guys go through that sophomore slump. It took Daya a little bit to figure things out. Strong Machine J had one of the single cleanest debuts ever in the history of wrestling. He looked like a polished pro. And then ever since then, it's actually been tough for him to find his footing. Obviously, with the class of 2020 and Kamei and SB Kento, and Kakuda before the injury, and Fujika- and, and uh, Sora Fujikawa from the little bit we saw before Mochizuki kicked his face off. Those guys all hit the ground running. We've seen the Ahashis in these future matches, and I have no doubt that with Don Fuji across from them, this might not be a great match, but this will be a very, very memorable match. I mean, th- this is a sicko's great match because those of us who are going to think this match is going to be great, and I'm already predisposed to think that this match will be great, case is the the fact that Don Fuji is going to beat that the crap out of people that combined are not his age, and then Yuzushi Kanda he can get down and dirty too with these kids. So it, it, it it's such a move of faith having them match four debuting in their biggest venue in Tokyo. There's a lot of reasons why the Ahashis are getting this kind of book, but it's not for a lack of talent. Like I've been, I've been impressed with, uh, the, there's something new from Ricky and Ishan each time I see them on the future project. I think all the future kids that I saw have something now. Is it going to be something that like, whereas where as soon as you saw Kento Kabuna, you're like, that guy is going to be the future guy here. Or is it going to be something like funky Jackie Kamei that, you know, he has his role. He probably has an established ceiling, but he's checking the boxes here. That that remains to be seen, but it's not going to be for a lack of effort that the Ishan brothers aren't going to be treated with like the utmost care, all things considered. Yeah, this is going to be a big match. I, I expect to see, uh, whereas, you know, I, I talk with uh, Rich at Voice of Wrestling about this a lot, where I'll go to to submit my Drangate review, and obviously at Voices of Wrestling, we have a big featured image to go with the review. And for New Japan, there's, you know, a, a million different places to get high-quality photos. For NOAA and DDT and All Japan, there's a million places to go get high-resolution images. Sometimes I am really grasping at straws to get nice-quality Drangate photos just with the way that they're covered, but I have no doubt that I'll be able to get some high-res Ahashi photos uh, pretty shortly after because I get the impression that the Japanese press is going to be very into this match given their story. Yeah, just so that I know that we've talked about it on the show, but this might be someone's first time listening. The Hashi brothers are the sons of Koji Ishiriki, who was a former sumo who 
moved into pro wrestling in the late 80s, early 90s. His biggest stops were Super World of Sports, the Tenryu promotion, and then WAR. I'm blanking on their mother's name. I apologize, but she wrestled for LLPW, the Joshi promotion. And they're at least billing them as... And I think it might actually be the case given the relative infancy of pro wrestling in Japan in comparison to the United States. They are building them as the first ever thoroughbred pro, pure pro wrestlers in Japan because both both their parents were pro wrestlers. And so their that, uncle a pro wrestler as well. Yeah, yeah. So they come from wrestling families. And if you go back and listen to the episode that we did with Jay before uh, Kobe World and Speedstar Final, uh, being the sons of wrestlers in Japan means that you have a certain support network that you inherit from your parents, and it also applies to the promotions you're in. So it's very important that the uh, Ahashi brothers have a successful debut for many reasons. Yurika Hazumi is the name of their mother. Uh, so yeah, they, they get their parents' sponsors. They are Supernova rookies, and I, I, am, I am just tickled to death about this match. I am so excited to see what these guys have to bring to the table. Yeah, the, it, it's something that like outside the title matches and outside the singles match, this is probably my most anticipated match on the show by far. Like, and I think I'm more excited about this match than the Twin Gate match, to be quite honest. Yeah, this would be my number three. There, there's two matches here that I'm really looking forward to that we haven't gotten to yet. All right, and then we talk about the match that I have a problem with, not with the match itself, but where it is. It's match five, so the midpoint of the show. Ultimo Dragon, Masaki Mochizuki, Naruki Doi versus the natural vibe team of Ginky Horiguchi, UT, and Funky Jackie Kamei. Yeah, I, look, I think this is going to be great. I, I don't know if it'll hit four stars, but I think I'm going to be thoroughly entertained by it because you not only have Funky Jackie Kamei in a, in a really big spot, I, I can't think of a bigger match that he's had than this. Is there one that really jumps out to you, Mike? It would be his debut match. Like I yeah, think that's, that's, yeah, that, that, that was a that was a very, uh, very much a featured match. Him and Kabune against Doi and Yamato. Yeah, I mean, to the point that they pulled the match and put it on the network when it was in Nagoya, a place that they don't normally tape. But like this is at least outside his debut. So coming up on two years, this is his biggest match in two years. I can't think of a, a pay-per-view that he's been on, which I, I'm sure I'm probably forgetting something from from last year. Uh, when all those big shows started to bleed together after a while. But the point here is this the big match because he's he's on the main card in a pay-per-view in a match with Ultimo Dragon, Naruki Doi, and Masaki Mochizuki. And there is there is real sink or swim potential here because at this point, we know Kamei's strengths. We know what he can do and what he looks like when he's on. And he's going to be put in a position, given the fact that he can take a beating from Mochizuki, he can hang with Doi's big, fast signature spots, and he can grapple with Ultimo Dragon. He's going to be put in a position to succeed. It's a, a matter of whether or not we're going to get the Kamei that we saw so much potential in in early 2020, or the funky Jackie Kamei that was rough around the edges and honestly rough to the core. Uh, during some of the early outings that he had coming off of his injury this year. You've also got UT in there against Ultimo. I always think that's a super uh, interesting combination. It's very hard to tell with Ultimo. He is a, a man of little emotion, but I would like to think that Ultimo has fun wrestling UT. That is a story that I, I perhaps have made up in my head. But given that when UT returned from his year-long injury, his first match was against Ultimo, I get the impression there's some level of respect there. I mean... 
it, if they put us in charge of the Dragon Gate Network, I want UT to go on a tour of Mexico City with Ultimo. Because I feel like that those two guys, I feel like one, UT would love it. And two, Ultimo would be like, here's my room full of my masks and my smoking jackets and my shoes. And UT would be blown away. I think it's I think it's classic content there. But those two, like, yeah, I mean, they work a more crowded style. Like, UT has great chemistry with these three guys, not just Ultimo with Mochizuki with Doi. And then, I mean, Ginky Horiguchi, like, we're not talking about him a lot here, but he is Ginky Horiguchi in a match here. That, I mean, yeah, he slowed down. Yeah, he's someone that I openly am wondering how long he's got. But this is... it. My problem with this match isn't the match itself. It's just the way that things are laid out before it. So this match is here. J- just to be clear at this point. That's fair. And then match six is a eight-man tag team match. It is high-end Dragon Kid, Keisuke Akuda, Benkei Kakatora versus R.E.D. And what a collection of R.E.D. it is. It is B.B. Hulk... Kai, the Open the Brave Gate champion, SB Kento, and Diet Inferno. It is something that we probably should have mentioned earlier. Uh, Okuda did bang up his elbow during the Brave Gate match, was pulled from shows, but does not seem like that he's being pulled from this card. Yes. Yeah, so it looks like he will be here. And I'm excited about this match because, dare I say, it's fantasy booking, although I do think I am going to use logic and reason to predict SB Kento's next two open the Brave Gate challengers. Mike, what do you say at uh, at Gate of Destiny in Osaka in, in November? We get SB Kento versus Dragon Kid for the Open the Brave Gate Championship. If you ask me, that's a strong title match for Edeon 1. Yes, very much so. Obviously, they've wrestled in a million different contexts, a ton of tag matches, the cage match, King of Gate, I think now SB Kento's got that belt. He's looking to defend it against somebody that took his hair earlier this year. I think that's a big match. And I think SB Kento would survive that. And then I think he would go into Jason Lee for the Brave Gate belt at Final Gate. Because at some point, it is going to be a real waste if they don't do SB Kento versus Jason Lee for the belt. Not only just given the chemistry that they showed together, but the fact that they, especially leading up to Kobe World in that Triangle Gate match, were actively focusing on not necessarily Masquerade versus R.E.D., but S.B. Kento versus Jason Lee. And I, I think that could be a banger of a singles match, and that sounds like the perfect thing for a Final Gate crowd to watch and enjoy. Yeah, and that is something that I might be misremembering, but S.B. Kento gets pretty good responses in Fukuoka. So even with a clap crowd, I think there's a lot there. I mean, Jason Lee has had Brave Gate shots at Final Gate as well. He had 2019 against uh, Case. Uh, not Keisuke Akuda, Kaido Ishida. Those two guys are just so interwoven at this point that I feel like if I say one name, I have to say the other. It's a real, it, it, it's a real uh, Magna Carta Holy Grail right there, if you ask me. But uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just let that one sit, breathe for a second. Uh, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of ways they can build off of it. There's just, you like look at this RED team and like SB Kento, Although he is not listed at the top, he is kind of the leader of this team here. And, I mean, he has Kagatora, the guy who he beat for the championship the first time. Okuda, who they've done the story there. So Dragon Kid is the natural person to get that. And, I mean, what's, I'm getting the turnaround for your, uh, for Gate of Destiny. Okay, Gate of Destiny is almost exactly in five weeks after uh, Otis Gymnasium. It's on the first week of November. So, the 
they have a lot of TV, but I feel like that they could start down that road with the Dragon Kid match. I th- I I think that's the route going forward. Yeah, I think so. I I hope that's the way they go because we obviously saw him win the belt against Kagatora. Ben K is not in the Brave Gate requirements. He just beat Okuda. Let's get Dragon Kid in the mix. I think that'd be very exciting. Yeah, and if they aren't doing Masquerade versus Red, High End versus Red makes sense too. So. You, you know, I, I, there's a lot to like in this match, I, I think. I mean, I'm excited to see Dragon Kid and Die Inferno. <laughs> the, 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 just two guys. I feel like that those two have a lot of fun whenever they're in a ring together. Uh, any other thoughts before we move on to the top three matches of the show? No, I'm, I'm, I'm into that R.E.D. versus high-end match, and then everything from here I'm very excited about. Yeah, this is when the show hits gravy. Special singles match, Shun Skywalker versus Diamante. Diamante really hates other people in masks so like that's kind of the big storyline since shoot skywalker dropped the dream gate at speed star final diamante has kind of been the thorn in his side and the two of them have had a lot of really focused uh interactions over the last few months even though uh masquerade versus red has mainly been about the triangle gate if they have these two guys in the match outside of those, they make sure to focus on it. It is getting the special singles match uh, role and Diamante third from the top on a big five show. Mike, I, I am in love with Diamante and not just his incredible body and his luscious hair, but as a professional wrestler, I, I am, I am so into him right now. Last year for us, people in the know, that voted for SB Kento as rookie of the year, not Anna J with all due respect, not Dominic, no respect given to those people, but people in the know we voted for SB Kento as rookie of the year. And we voted Diamante as most improved. And I honest to God, think there was an argument that Diamante could win. He could do a Miz and win most improved again this year. <laughs> I, think I think he should. He has, yeah. I think he has taken a step up from, you know, again, the, the rep on him, at, at least from you and I, you know what we thought for the first six or seven months he was in the promotion was this is this is one of the worst foreign talents they've ever brought in and it seemed like after the shutdown you know when they were gone for so long when they returned with limited capacity fans in july of last year we we quickly picked up like okay all right there's there's something there he's he's pretty fun and towards the back half of last year he went from pretty fun to pretty good but this year he has taken another step up and he has gone from a good wrestler to a legitimately great wrestler. And I think he, in the same way, and this is a drastic comparison, I don't think it is as strong as the bond that these two wrestlers have. But in the same way that in 2011, Dragon Gate paired Pac with Ricochet the entire year. Pac, the established star, was a full-time roster member at this point, was the Open the Brave Gate champion. Ricochet, obviously the future of, uh, of foreign wrestlers in Dragon Gate at the time. They put those two together for an entire year on Dragon Gate shows and on Dragon Gate USA shows. And by the end of the year, Pac made a superstar out of Ricochet. I still maintain that all of Ricochet's success on a national and international level, it goes back to 2011 with Pac. If he does not have that extended period of time, let's say Pac gets signed in June of 2011, instead of June of 2012, I think Ricochet has a drastically different career. It will not be to the same extreme with Diamante and La Estrella, 
But whatever success Estrella has in his career, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, if his body can hold up that much, part of it is going to be because of 2021 and the year he spent wrestling Diamante. What those two have done together, more so what Diamante has done for Estrella, I have found to be so incredibly impressive. This is Diamante's biggest match in Drangate. If he goes out there and kills it in this match, and I'm talking four and a quarter stars, I'm talking four and a half stars, and, and Mike, am I off base in thinking that this match could reach those heights, that that's the appropriate ceiling for this match? I think that the floor starts at four stars, and the ceiling is probably four and a half. Like, I... I like Shin Skywalker has not missed since he returned from Mexico. And as you've been saying, Diamante has become one of the more dynamic wrestlers in wrestling. So if they hit the ceiling here, one, like I said, I think you have to really honestly consider Diamante for most improved. Now I, I haven't, you know, run the gamut of contenders this year. I don't know who people are thinking about, but I do think Diamante would need to be in that discussion. And if this is an upper echelon match, if this is one of the best Dragon Gate matches of the year, which if it's four and a half stars, it puts it in that ballpark. Mike, you and I have a civic duty on our hands to force Shun Skywalker into every Flair Thez in every most outstanding wrestler of the year conversation that comes within our sight lines over the next three or four months. Because if Skywalker kills it here, <laughs> He has as strong of a case as anybody in the world. Uh, brother, you're preaching to the choir. I've already started that talk about Shin Skywalker. I've already said like, I've already said like, no, I'm not saying that he's the winner, but I'm saying you should really take a closer look at Shin Skywalker. And let's also put in the back of your mind, the Kakuta match ended in his first moment, its first actual move. That's not on him. If, if you don't have the ability to remove it from your mind, then we shouldn't be talking about this kind of thing here because Shin Skywalker, even before this match, I would probably have him. I mean, Kenny Omega won probably two on my list right now. And I don't think that that's being hyperbolic at all. Like he is someone that not enough people are talking about how excellent of a 2021 Shun Skywalker has had. And this is going to be another just plot it for him because I feel like that with the chemistry these two guys have shown with the uh, with being put in this position for Diamante I mean I don't think Diamante thought when he was coming to Japan well he didn't think he'd probably be stuck in Japan but he would probably didn't think that he would be this close to the top against the former champion in one of the biggest shows of the year but I don't think this match can miss. There's a reason why I said like, oh yeah, the floor is four stars because I have nothing. The, the, there's no evidence whatsoever. I don't have any reason to think that Shun Skywalker can have a bad match in 2021. And Diamante, as you said, should be back-to-back -back most improved wrestlers. And I think that these two guys have shown it, that they're going to go out there. And this could be the match of the night. Yeah, it just seems like it just seems like we're due for a really dumb spot here. And I'm really excited to see what it is because Diamante, as we've, as we've talked about, you're the turning point for him. I think was him taking hammock bumps on single cam shows and taking that Ultimo kind of monkey flip thing to the floor. As often as he was doing Shun Skywalker, of course, the rep 
you know, for years was, oh my God, this guy's going to die in the ring. He does such spectacular stuff and he's so out of control. And he's, he's really gotten that under control. And at Kobe world, you know, the dumb spot was him monkey flipping KZ to the floor. It's not like he took that spot. So there is not quite dumb jock energy, but there is dumb guy energy at stake in Shun Skywalker versus Diamante. And I'm really excited to see how that unfolds. Yeah, I mean, somehow we went through that period without Shun Skywalker really hurting himself, which is wild to think about. Because how many times were we just like either talk about on air or like message like, how did Shun not die? And it was in this building where he almost like crashed and burned the worst. I, I was just about to say Dangerous Gate 2018. There is a Shun Skywalker match. It's him and Mochizuki against BB Hulk and Yamato. I think it's one of the better Twin Gate matches of all time. But there are spots in that match where I I was uh, putting, you know, my hands over my eyes. I I was not sure what I was about to watch, but it looked like Shun Skywalker was going to plummet to his doom at any second. And of course, he saved it and he saved the match. He led that match to again being four and three quarters, one of my favorite twin game matches ever. And it seems like we're due for another dumb Shun match. I can't wait. I can't wait. Then we get to the two top title matches on the show. Open the Twin Gate Championship. It is the Natural Vi Champion Team of Susumi Okosuka and King Shimizu versus the challengers from the Strong Machine Army. It is Strong Machine J and the recently debuted Strong Machine K, of which they gave up the ghost on on Kondo being K really soon. It did not even make it a full match. When he came out at Cork and Hall, I didn't get a chance to talk about this last week. When he came out, I thought it was Takashi Yoshida, and I was so annoyed by it because that just seemed just too obvious in hindsight. You know, lazy. we were trying to, yeah, ex- it, thank you. That's exactly, it, it, it would have been the laziest option. And we were trying to rack our brains around, you know, which future trainee is it going to be? Is it going to be somebody new? What's the, what's the angle going to be here? Look, I, I I would rather just have Shuji Kondo, but I will say that I, I think the interactions between Kondo and Strong Machine J have been really entertaining, and they are putting J in a position to succeed here, much like how I talked about uh, with Kamei in that six-man tag, how all of the guys against him are in some way going to be playing towards his strengths. With Strong Machine J here, he's going to have a, a bigger guy in Shimizu that he can bounce off of, that that he can be vulnerable to a degree that I think it's really important for as strong as they want this character to be, they need a certain level of vulnerability to it. And I, and I think King Shimizu has the size to provide that layer, that almost that safety blanket for Strong Machine J so he doesn't look too strong. And he also has Susumi Yokosuka in there, one of the best wrestlers ever. And if he can't have a good match with Shibazu and Yokosuka, then we have bigger fish to fry. But given that he's in there with Kondo, given that he's in there with Susumu, given that he's in there with Shimizu, I think this could be a, a, a very good match. Yeah, this is probably the match that I would say has the biggest variance between where I think the ceiling and the floor is because uh, we've Kondo is good in this role. It is kind of, I talked a little bit about this last week. It makes sense why Kondo is a strong machine in 2021. It makes sense. I would love to have him, you know, just tearing people's heads off, but that he is just at an age now where I just don't necessarily think that they want him to be throwing, uh, ripping people's heads off. So I think this works. I think him and Jay, as you say, have some solid chemistry here. Uh, I'm pretty confident in Jay's performance here. 
I think that Jay has had the matches against Yokosuka and Shimizu when he's been healthy to show that like he is able to, as you said, show a little bit of vulnerability, not just have him as like a super strong machine son, but have him as his own uh, wrestler of his own agency. And that's kind of been an issue. I think that we've been having with, with this revival, of the strong machine army Kondo in this role, especially against someone like Shimizu who did not have as many face-offs with Shimizu as one would think since he returned. That is the most interesting portion of this match to me. I will leave this match with these thoughts that given the triangle gate match, this being the twin gate match, the dream gate match, I think this has the most obvious result of any of the title matches on this show. I don't see any way that the strong machines lose this. I think there's a 99% chance that they win. And I can't say that about the triangle gate match nor the dream gate match. Yeah, 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 no. I mean, in the dream gate, there is always the chance of injury here. I think if someone gets injured, they get their body dragged over them for the finish. <laughs> like the strong machine army are going to take the twin gate belts here. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, look, I, I wouldn't complain if Shimizu and Susumu won. I love that tag team. I was really hoping they would have a pretty prolonged reign, but it, it seems like business is pointing in the strong machine's direction as it typically does. Absolutely so. And that gets us to the main event, the match that the two of us have been expecting for a while. Uh, it is Yamato making his first defense of his fifth record-setting fifth Open the Dreamgate title reign against Kota Minora, who is getting his first ever shot. He only got his first key last week. And you, you've already said that you think that the Twin Gate match is the biggest no-doubter on the show. Is there a realistic shot that Kota Minora wins this match? Well, I, I want your probability on it. What, what are you thinking? Is it, a, is it a 50-50? Is it 60-40? How are we looking in this match? I think it's eighty twenty Yamato. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I for for the sake of uh, you know entertaining audio, I wish I had a different take, but I I think you're exactly on the money here. For for a few reasons, I really can't rule out Menora. Now, the flip side of that, just to get the easy conversation out of the way, is uh, Menora is not twenty five. This is Yamato's fifth Dreamgate run. Uh, it's fucking Yamato, and I don't think he's going to lose this match. Those are. Uh, the arguments in favor of Yamato. But when you look at Coach Minora, a, a nearly unparalleled hot streak in Dragon Gate, specifically in singles matches, he's been doing a spot. I, I don't have recollection of him doing it before this most recent Cork and Hall show. Maybe he's been mixing it in for a few months now. And I just haven't thought about it. But he has that kind of flash forearm that he's hit a few times now. He hit it in the tag match with Yamato in Tokyo and in the tag match in Yamato uh, with Yamato in Osaka, where he hits Yamato with a forearm shiver and he knocks Yamato to the floor. I think that is a spot that at some point is going to come into play down the finishing stretch. And if Minoru is going to hypothetically win this match, I think that forearm is going to point him in the right direction. If you don't remember the forearm that I'm talking about, go to that Tokyo show, go to that Osaka show, Watch that spot because it jumped off the screen for me both times he did it. And there was also the fact that look at the last time uh, there was a, a definitive era change in Dragon Gate. Summer of 2013, Shima's 18-month reign ends. Shingo Takagi wins the belt. His first defense is against Yamato, and Yamato rolls him up, and he pins him, and he sends Dragon Gate into disarray. 
PW Ponderings stopped reviewing Dragon Gate because they couldn't handle that booking decision. We are now at a point eight years later where Masato Yoshino was exited the company. We are clearly in the midst of another drastic generational change in the promotion. Yamato is 40. Minora is not yet 25. It would not shock me. It would, it would be very surprising, but I cannot rule it out that Yamato eats a flash pin, that he eats the, the, the gang finishing maneuver, whatever it is. It would not stun me if Yamato loses in his first offense. Yeah, and it's something that I think this company does a really good job of is making sure that the fans know that you can lose in your first offense, that you could have a flash pin, that a wrestler on any given day can go in and beat the cornerstone of the company in five minutes. And it's something that with how they've treated Kota Minora since returning to crowds in July of 2020, I don't think with the exception of like the supernovas, like the true supernovas in this promotion, I don't think we've seen as thorough of an elevation over such a period of time without any pullback, without any resetting, without any like, okay, we went a little bit too hard with him. We're going to pull him back for a little bit or like, okay, he had his big title run. He has first title run. Now he's going to be a background player for the next year until we're ready for the next time. That has not happened with Kota Minora. Kota Minora has gone from being just a undercard, un- unexperienced young guy before COVID to now being with the exception of, uh, SB Kento, their biggest young star. And I say young with the caveat that, as you mentioned, a lot of this roster is incredibly young. He is under 25, so is uh, Shun Skywalker. But like out of like this next generation of wrestlers, there's been no pullback. There's been nothing but confidence from This was like a guy that they tried to keep away from the microphone that now is doing the bulk of the talking for Masquerade here. This does not happen very often in the dragon system. And we have not seen someone have a 14-month push and storyline this consistent and without any sort of pullback here. Now, he could lose. He could lose on Monday, and they could start the, the big pullback, and he could not sniff a title for the next year. But with the way they've been handling him for the last 14 months, I think this is the case of getting the young guy a key under his belt so that when we know that next time, then it's like, all right, he he's learned now. He's bringing something new to the table. He's already been up to the challenge of main eventing a pay-per-view. Now is the time that he gets his run. But with with the last 14 months, with the way that they're pushing, there's a reason why I said 20% chance here. They could think that the push ends with Kota Minora leaving Odyssey Gymnasium as Dreamgate champion. His elevation, and again, it's it's a little over a year now, like you just detailed, from July 2020 to now, it has felt so natural. And that is that is such a nice thing. I, I, I will I, I will pick on New Japan here where you just look at that evil push, and he's obviously got people backstage that are huge fans of him. And and prior to his mega push, I was someone that that found evil to be a, a pretty nice wrestler, someone who would have honestly a few great matches a year. 
And then they shoved him into the main event scene, and it just doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel right. But every step along the way with Coach Minora, from the time limit draws to the the pins in multi-man matches to close out shows to the twin gate reign with Jason Lee to the single success in 2021. It has all felt right. And I'm not saying that he is going to win this match, but Mike, I'm so glad you're on the same page as me that we really can't rule it out. The interesting thing here is that I, I don't think either of us have questioned whether or not this will be a great match. I assume this is going to be phenomenal because Minora has cleared every hurdle along the way. It speaks to how impressive this roster is and how young and talented this roster is that I could be talking about how this guy is the next ace of the promotion and how he has cleared every hurdle along the way. And you don't know if I'm talking about Coach Minora. You don't know if I'm talking about SP Kento. There's a chance I could be talking about Hip Hop Kakuta. In a few months, we could be talking about this way with Sora Fujikawa. It's just mind-numbing to think how good and how young some of these guys are, and Kota Minora is leading that charge. Yeah, and for as frustrated as I was 20 minutes ago, and with how middling, I think it's fair to say, the post-Yoshino era has been so far, there's always this talent here. And it, and there's even more coming. I mean, the class of 2021 I mean, it has started, but there's more kids ready for 2022. I mean, at the at last time there's a last time I heard there's at least 12 kids who are either in future matches or getting ready for that. Like this, this promotion has at this time, and it, again, this this lays on us case because we're the two people who are willing to say this with the platform. When I say this, there is we are witnessing right now what I'll say is one of the most historic booms and young talent from a dojo or from a training school in wrestling history. And I think it's something that's going to be so fun over the next few years charting. Cause it, cause yeah, now this is another guy less than five years in, in this company under age 25 main eventing a big show. Like look at this year, Kaido Ishida main eventing a show, uh, hip hop Kakuda main eventing a show. And now it's Kota Minora. And in comparison to like hip hop Kakuda, where we both kind of win this match, like we think, we think there's going to be a solid match here. This is still really soon for Hip Hop Kakuda, and sadly we didn't get to see how that played out. But we walk into this match like there, there, there was no reason for either of us really to be like, "What's our ceiling? What's our floor on this?" Because, the, because the ceiling for this match is that it's going to be truly exceptional, and the floor, uh, I'm sorry, the, the floor of this match is that it's going to be truly exceptional. But the ceiling of this, very rarely do I think I'm going to have some thought here. But can you like? put it outside of your mind that this could be this could end up being one of those all-time dragon gate main event matches because i can't this has the potential to be that really hard to say just given the environment that they're going to have to outshine but no i i certainly can't rule that out i mean this is the same environment that had a five-star match last year yeah, no, I, I, I think you're exactly right. And I, I mean, that was that was a once in a lifetime match. So uh, unfortunately, I think to to hit that point, given this environment, that's the sort of stuff we're talking about. But it's Yamato versus Minora, So I, I can't entirely say no to that. And it'll be interesting to see where they go from this match, because this was the obvious match on paper when we were talking about the three real outcomes coming out of the, the Kobe World Cannon Hall doubleheader, because I don't know what's next for Yamato. Like, who's going to step up now? Is Kai going to 
continually be a presence in, in Yamato matches, or are we going to maybe see like, okay, now Susumu Yokosuka is no longer be Twin Gate champion. You could always have Susumu get a title shot, or are we going to, or they're going to go completely off the board and have Ata, you know, come in for a title shot after being completely out of the picture last year? I don't know. Do you have any? Any inkling or any idea where you think from the last few weeks where we might be going after this match? Because I can't think of the direction. Uh, probably Doi. Yeah, that would be in Osaka too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably Doi. I, it's it's very interesting because if Yamato wins this match, and we're assuming he does, I think given the fact that I also think RED is winning that Triangle Gate match, you take out Ata and Ashita for at least some short period of time. He's beaten Skywalker. He's beaten Menora. Casey's out, which we really haven't talked about. My only thoughts on Casey being injured is assuming he's able to return somewhere near a hundred percent. I think it's the best possible thing that could happen for his character. Him going away, assuming he's able to heal up is great for him. Those are my only real thoughts on Casey. So yeah. you have no, no Ata, no Ishida, Skywalker, Menora are down at this point. Casey's injured. So you're looking at Susumu. It's a real stretch to say Shimizu, but I think you got to put him on that list. And you're looking at Doi because I think given how we got here with Minora getting into this match, it is going to be a real bad look if that next challenger or that second to next challenger is Kai, Benkei, or Mochizuki. Yeah, and that's a shame for Mochizuki because Mochizuki is someone that I mean, as much as we don't like to acknowledge it, there's probably a clock for him realistically in that position, just aesthetically, basically. And with Benkei, like, that was burning a potential challenger that you could have for after the first set of challengers. You could have, oh, enter unit challenges at that point, and now he's kind of off the board for the foreseeable future. And Kai, we've all done Kai. We don't need Kai there. So, yeah, no, Doi, I think you've talked me into Doi. The only other person i'm like looking at this list and i'm like they're not gonna do that with him will they is bb hulk yeah i oh boy yeah they they certainly have a story there that they could go into i i think i'm weirdly higher on bb hulk than most people like i actually thought he looked really good on this osaka show we didn't really have a chance to talk about it but i thought hulk had a really good outing but he's not Dreamgate caliber at this point. I mean, I just I don't know. I don't see how that's an option. Let me let me throw a real uh, galaxy brain take at you here. Okay, but it's it's one that I can't entirely ignore. Now, the schedules a little weird this year. I think it would have been easier with last year's schedule, but I'm staring at November 27th on the calendar, Gate of Origin and Sendai. And then I look back to this card and I see that Shun Skywalker versus Diamante match where I don't really think there's a clear winner there. Yamato versus Diamante. Does that headline Gate of Origin? I can't discount it. (laughs) Yeah, right? Doesn't that kind of seem like a Gate of Origin main event? Well, I mean, also, I mean, Diamante, there's a lot of ways to go with if they really want to press with him. I mean... There's the mask. If he if he has a price that they're willing to match for his mask, I mean, I assume, considering what his career was in Mexico before this, that's probably not. And we're not talking about Doctor Wagner Jr. getting six figures for his mask here, but like a Dreamgate match, like, like yeah, no, I mean, I think that if they really were to uh, want to make a concerted effort into 
uh, elevating Diamante, especially the idea that Sendai by far is their least focused big show. And I don't know anything, and uh, this is pure speculation. Would not be surprised if Gate of Origin eventually gets dropped from the schedule. Would not be surprised about that. There's a reason why those shows really worked, and the, and that big reason why now is in NXT UK. <laughs> so I don't know about that, but like he makes sense for uh, Gate of Origin. I mean, like he's someone that would have screamed pre-network Wakiyama defense at this point already, right? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. So yeah, no, I, I think that's out there. Whereas with Code Minora, it's a completely open book if he wins. Like you could do literally anyone who's of that level, any name that we have mentioned before, with the exception of Shun Skywalker, could be his first defense. Was Miko Satamora who you were referencing there? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, hey, hey man, I'm your co-host, and that one took me a second. I just want to make sure we we're on the same page. <laughs> Sendai Girls does a lot of local promotion when people want to promote yes. in Sendai. Yes. Okay. And, yeah, we are we are on the same page now. That took me a second. I was like, wait, sorry. What, what, what did I miss about a kid having connections to, to Gate of Origin? I missed that story, but no, that that makes sense. Um that's I didn't think I was going a... to obscure. No, 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 think... no, not at all. I, uh, you have to understand, Mike. I am also stupid, um, which is an underrated aspect of the show. This is this is profoundly. This is two dumb people talking about like the one thing that they are uniquely qualified to talk about. That's horribly depressing to think about, Mike. <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of great. You can choose <laughs> to make it the rest. Of the, I, I, I say it's like, hey, we're going at the best of our abilities on the one thing that we should be on our best of our abilities about. You know, you know why it was great, and and I will end with this. I have no more dangerous gate thoughts. Uh, obviously, we'll be back next week to talk about it. And I'll have my written review at voiceofwrestling.com. But you know why it's great is because I didn't get a chance to talk about this last week. But Mike Spears and I were in Chicago a few weeks ago, and it was so nice seeing uh, some people that I haven't seen in in two years, some people that I hadn't seen in longer, and it was just a very fun weekend. Uh, obviously. I was busy raising hell most of the weekend with my St. Louis crew, Joey Bay and Sean Sloan. But to to hang out with people from Voices of Wrestling, Rich, Chris Sampsa, I'm I, I, Mike. I can't explain to you how delighted I am that you and I have a picture together that I think is a as a nice picture of both of us. It was a, a nice reminder of of the fun of all of this and so if i if i bumped into you at all out weekend it was great seeing you if i didn't see you i i'm sure it'll work out at some point it won't be the last all out so that was a, a very nice weekend and i just wanted to be sure to say that on the podcast before we left yeah because we really haven't talked since chicago's since us i i drove case from the uh voices of wrestling cookout to the arena and case got to sit with me as i was having Probably a one out of five scale panic attack about parking. For like it was minutes. such a missed opportunity of Mike and I to not be doing audio as we were looking for a parking spot at the now arena because <laughs> well, it was horrific what Mike and I had to go through to park the damn car. And uh, yeah, again, a missed opportunity to record audio there, but a, a really fun weekend nonetheless. Oh, oh absolutely. And ooh, Listeners could play the game of how many times I mutter under my breath, why isn't there a fucking parking garage? <laughs> because you're at Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're the only people that are ever at that arena. That had a giant-ass mall right there. There was an Ikea nearby. They could have built a parking structure there. There was I a mean, Duluth. I almost told Mike to drop me off so I'd go buy some underwear. That's my, my preferred destination because Manscaped isn't paying us. My preferred destination of underwear is Duluth. 
I was almost like, hey, Mike, we're going to be here for a second. Let me go. Let me go score some deals real quick. I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah. You go run in there. I hand you a 20 for some reinforced boot socks. <laughs> and, you know, we, we go about our day. But no, it was such a fun time a couple of weeks ago. And it's one of those things that like those weekends always happen so fast that like you try to get in to say hi to people you try to do like all of that and it's never enough and it's there's never enough time but i had such a great time hanging with you and sharing a car you, ride you know with I'm, you. I, I, I'm glad sorry to cut you off there but i i i, I talked a, a big game on this podcast about a month ago about meeting suit williams in person and i i was afraid it wasn't going to work out one because suits city was underwater the week before all out and i was a little bit concerned that maybe he wouldn't be able to make a few wrestling shows because of that but i i i can confirm that I gave Suit Williams a handshake. I hope it was firm. I hope it was to his liking. Uh, it was at the the Thursday night, or I'm sorry, the Friday night Black Label Pro Show that I did not have a ticket for. I was not asked for a ticket upon arrival, uh, and I left after about 20 minutes of being there. I was uh, <laughs> uh, coerced by Dr. Keith Lipinski and Sean Sloan into attending this show. It was horrific from what I saw. Just I, I, a god awful, uh, a goddamn awful professional wrestling show. And the one high spot was going, oh, I'm sitting right next to Suit Williams. Let me give this man a handshake. I, I think you're a, a terrific guy, Suit, and I'm very glad I got to see you. Did you so, so you got to stand next to Suit. Suit is like one of the best people to watch a show with because he gets more into it than anyone else in the world. And it's awesome. So so I did not see this because when I was talking to Suit, we were in the midst of a Too Cold Scorpio versus Stallion Rogers match. And I had just watched Stallion Rogers have a really fun match in AAW. I'm a big Too Cold Scorpion fan, Too Cold Scorpio fan. Oh my God, that match was so bad. Oh, oh, Scorp has seen better days. And so there wasn't much for Suit to react to there. Hey, uh, how how dire was the show? I got a message while I was while I was out uh, looking at bars that were also bowling alleys and Logan Square and Wicker Park and driving by the former Congress Theater. I had a moment case where I thought about I thought about our rewind and rewatch series, thought about us, thought about how much time we devoted to that venue that's now just all spray painted and all of that. Uh, it, it's something that I love all out weekend. Next time, I, I took it deliberately easy this year. I only went to all out. I had some some EE obligations outside of that. I did some other stuff there. Next time, just because that was the only thing that anyone was really talking about, at least up until all out. Next time, if there's an AEW show that's either on Thursday or on Friday, I'm making it to the AEW show. I have to. Yeah, I look, if you're ever in Chicago and AAW is running, especially when they run Logan Square, I think you got to be there. But this is not the AAW podcast. This is the Open the Voice Gate podcast. And that's all I got for this week, Mike. Yep, that's going to do it for us here. We'll be back next week talking about Dangerous Gate. There'll be other Dangerous Gate coverage on Voices of Wrestling. Of course, Case will have the written review. There will be a preview that probably, I'm going to guess, Friday to expect that uh you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate we try to be not necessarily the one-stop shop for dragon gate news but we make an effort that if something big is happening we we fire it off there you can follow case underscore in your case and you can follow me at fujiheya thanks thanks to everyone for listening to open the voice gate we'll be back with you next week talking about the third of the big five shows in dragon gates year dangerous great 2021 take care